0: And so we, we really found in the interviews when people would find a personal connection to a graph, it almost didn't matter what else was in the graph.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini, and I am a professor at New York University, where I teach and do research in data visualization.
2: That's right, and I'm Moritz Stefane and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. And I work as a
1: self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. Yes. And on this podcast, we talk about data visualization, analysis, and more generally, the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show.
2: Who we will bring on in a second. But before we start, just a quick note, our podcast is listener supported. That means there's no ads. And that also means if you do enjoy the show, Please consider supporting us and you can do that either with recurring payments on patreon.com slash datastories or you can also send us a one-time donation. That's great too. You can do that on paypal.me slash datastories.
1: Okay, so let's get started. Today we talk about a very interesting project. It's one of my favorite research projects that have been published lately. And it's called Data Is Personal. And it's about an uh, interesting interview study about interviewing 42 people in rural America to understand how they read data visualizations. And to talk about that, we have on the show Evan Peck. Hey Evan, welcome on the show.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? <laughs>
1: very good. <laughs> so can you briefly introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what is your background, maybe the current position, your main interests and in activities, and so on?
0: Yeah, sure. So I am a professor of computer science at Bucknell University. Um, Bucknell is a fairly small institution in um, central Pennsylvania um, with um, all undergraduates, so we're a little bit more actually teaching focused than many institutions. Um, but my primary research is in data visualization. Uh, it hasn't always. So I actually did graduate school at Tufts University um, in, in the Boston area uh, under Robert Jacob. And actually, at the time, I was studying brain computer interfaces and. That's probably what most people maybe even know me better for. Um, And so over the last five or six years, I've sort of been on this journey from creating these adaptive systems, these systems that adapt to our brain activity, to slowly these more recent projects, which are looking not only at data visualization, but kind of more broadly, how can we get people to pay attention to data? How can we get people to value data and care about data? Um, And so that's sort of the long kind of trajectory I've been on. Um, And then in terms of other activities I'm interested in, and I think this is is pretty related, you'll see, is I've also been pretty involved in how can we teach undergraduate students how to think more carefully about the systems they create, specifically computer science majors, think carefully about who their systems amplify, who their systems leave out. And so I have had a little bit more of an educational kind of slant to some of my work as well.
2: That's great, I love that you have all these different angles coming together, and maybe data visualization is also sort of a brain computer interface yes. <laughs> to <some> degree, right, <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm also taking mental note here I need to talk about brain computer
1: interface <laughs>
0: in yeah, I could probably sculpt a much longer story of how all these threads tie
1: together
2: but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's let's uh, let's focus on the data is personal project that mm-hmm. Enrico mentioned briefly already. Can you give us a quick round on? What's the project about, and, and how did it work?
0: Yeah, so the project sort of came about, I would say, from a... Uh, I mean, this is sort of related to some of my previous work. I mean, one thing you realize when you start doing kind of physiological data, even back in graduate school, is how different people are and how messy that data is. And I so coming from that framing, I always brought that to data visualization, that mm-hmm. people seem to bring different backgrounds um, different experiences to when they see data and approach data, and and honestly, this this sort of came from a uh, one of these haunting suspicions I've had that maybe people just generally don't care about data as much as I would like them to.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
0: and if I'm investing all this time doing research and data visualizations. And then you kind of just meet someone somewhere and they say, what do you do? And I say, I do research and data visualization. And their eyes glaze over with the kind of like experiences from back when they were in middle school, when they had to interpret charts for exams or something like that. Um, I started to become concerned that while there's all this wonderful research and data visualization, man, there's a kind of an important prerequisite there. And that prerequisite is that people are willing to pay attention to it in the first place. Right. so that sort of intersected with being here in rural Pennsylvania and also just uh, personally rethinking my role as a researcher who wants to impact the people in the community in which I live and the people around me. And thinking about how, you know, if I'm doing all this research and data visualization and no one around here is even paying attention to it, what what, what does it matter <laughs> to those people? Um, so that was sort of kind of, I would say, some of the high-level motivation here was... I you know I want I want the work I do to impact people. Um and if no one's willing to pay attention to it in the first place, that's a problem. So maybe I need to go out and just bring data visualizations to people in my community and understand what do people pay attention to? What do they value? How does that align with what we know in the research community and how does that differ?
1: Yeah. No, that's, that I, I I love that. There are so many levels of many reasons why this is so important. I think partly is also because visualization as a visualization research has a strong tradition of of looking at people as if they at a very low level low level perception kind of uh, analysis, right? Which is of course very important. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, as soon as you look at more sophisticated, actual humans, things are different, right? So yeah. um, and I was also wondering... There's no
2: notion of people being different, really. So if you look at, the, let's yeah. say, the typical textbook database knowledge, rarely you hear about, oh, but this might actually be, except maybe colorblindness, you know, might be different <laughs> for different people. Usually it's, this is the role, this is how it works, this is better than that, right?
0: Yeah, and yeah. I think that, I, I mean, I, I'd say one thing is that I think... um This is a little bit of, uh, comes from kind of the historical trajectory of data visualization a little bit, uh, in which, I mean, probably more than 10 years ago, the main target was analysts, uh, people who have, uh, you know, statistical background, uh, Hmm. people who we can assume are going to try to pay attention to data and interpret it. And then I think when, you know, data visualization started popping up all over the web, I think some of the stories we tell about the field have changed too. So I think you can probably look at the first three sentences of lots of proposals and uh, papers <laughs> and see that the, as data increases, you know, that, that, that common kind of like hook at the beginning <laughs> that we want everyone to pay attention to data and data visualization is really wonderful for doing that. And I, I, I totally believe that story, but that also means some of those assumptions we've baked in before are, are a little bit trickier. We can't really assume everyone has a lot of statistical background and we can't assume they're willing to pay attention to it. But a lot of our studies, I mean, I mean, a lot of my studies in the past, you know, you pay someone to sit down in front of a computer and you give them $10 and they're incentivized <laughs> by $10 to stare at a screen of my data visualization for 20 minutes or something. <laughs> or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously the web works just just a, just a tad differently.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could get ten dollars just for looking <laughs> at the database. <laughs> yes,
1: so Evan, maybe we could. Uh, can you can you describe the study in a bit more details? What 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 did you guys actually do there?
0: This is one of those studies in which it isn't one really nice, clean question. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit different from a lot of behavioral studies in which you really try to control a lot of factors. This was sort of a uh, what's going on here question. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what we did is we, we uh, picked out 10 data visualizations. Uh, from across the web and they varied and we had maps and bar graphs and line charts and infographics So we tried to vary kind of what kind of visualizations. We varied their styles uh, We varied what sources they came from and we printed them out on 10 pieces of paper and we brought them to places in our community We brought them to a construction site uh, and we brought them to a local farmers market as well and we would um, have people come by and we would ask them to take a look at the 10 data visualizations and rank them 1 to 10 based on how useful they thought each data visualization was to them. And then we'd talk to them a little bit. And then they didn't know this coming was coming, but after a while, um, we would actually reveal the sources of the data visualizations later on. So mm-hmm. we had some from government <laughs> sources, some from um, you know news, news outlets. Um, some from kind of pharmaceutical companies. Um, and then we would ask, do you want to re-rank your, um, your charts in any way? And we talk to them some more. And so this is very kind of a qualitative study. And so uh, actually, that, that's important for the rest of this conversation because while, while I think I'll be talking a lot about some of the things that we saw, it's really important that all of these, I sort of think of them as breadcrumbs to things that need to be looked at a lot more.
1: Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. So, and, um, just one clarification. I think you said you asked them to how useful they were or how Mm -hmm. much they liked. Was that exactly what you it, asked them, or yeah, yeah, it was useful. And we okay, did a useful. lot. Yeah. yeah, we
0: did a lot of pilots with this. Um, okay. And and that's that's another thing to be aware of, right? When you're when you're thinking about this, <laughs> however you frame this question is probably going to change same. how people yeah. respond. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Probably. I mean, we don't know for sure. Uh, we mm-hmm. uh, but um, when we ran the pilots, we found this to be the nicest. Uh, we found useful to be kind of the right amount of ambiguous enough that people kind of were applying their own sense of values, um, while still giving them a little bit of guidance on the task.
1: I see. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, so maybe we should start talking about what you found there, right? (laughs) I think that you (laughs) you have a long list of, of very interesting findings. So, um, yeah. Can you, can you walk us through the main, the main things that you found through the study?
0: Yeah, so there are there, are, there are lots of little nuggets all over the place. So maybe I'll hit the, like the highlight reel. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so the the big one and the, and the piece that we really lead off the paper with with the title is is the fact that data is personal. Um, so what happens is when you when you look at how people rank these ten charts from the beginning without knowing any source information, um, we, we we did these like histograms. We actually tried to do some statistical analysis of it. We did this plot with like confidence intervals. And what's what's actually kind of funny is they were so messy, they were so unclear, that actually when we originally submitted the papers, the reviewers almost unanimously
2: told us to take the charts out. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Yeah, But the fact that it's so unclear, that there is no it's clear the point. ranking, is an interesting the point. finding, yeah.
0: right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Because, mm. yeah, the reverse like, we agree with you. It's We need to find out what these other stories are. Um, so we took mm. out those plots. And so there are a bunch of stories. I mean, the, the big the big takeaway is, um, and, and this is going to come to no shock to most people, people are different, it turns out. Um, people of different values, different perceptions. One of the big things that we saw that came up a lot, so these 10 graphs, and I don't think I mentioned this before, we actually, um, they were all based on drug abuse in the United States. Um, In particular, they're based on the opioid crisis. um, uh, And and where we're from in central Pennsylvania, like a lot of the United States, has been hit pretty hard by this crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, Opioid abuse is fairly rampant, so we had something like a third of our participants um, told us they had ha- been personally impacted to a, 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 a high degree oh by wow. drug abuse in their own life yeah. mm. um, or or in people that they love or care for. And so we we really found in the interviews where when people would find a personal connection to a graph, it almost didn't matter what else was in the graph. It did, almost didn't matter the data. It almost didn't matter the colors, whether it was a bar graph or an infographic. Um those were the things that mattered to people. We had we had someone telling us that the most important person in their life uh, was an alcoholic. And so that person ranked highly the graphs that referred to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, in some sense, not, I guess, not surprising. But at the same time, it's something that I just rarely think about when I design a data visualization. Um, and it's also something that's almost, it's so hard to account for. You know, these personal Mm -hmm. stories. And what kind of blew our mind was how often these came up. Because you have to remember, these are people, I mean, they're meeting us for the first time. We've met, we've known these people for three minutes, five minutes. And people were telling us about, um, yeah, um, alcohol, uh, alcohol abuse issues. They were talking to us about drug abuse with people they've cared about. We had a couple people tell us about friends they had lost to opioids. Um, and so one thing that kind of struck us later on when we were looking at and counting the number of people who referred to these personal situations, because we had no questions in our interview protocol that specifically poked at this, it made us wonder how many other people had similar stories and just didn't voice it to the researcher they met three minutes ago. Um, so this mm-hmm. is partially why we saw this as really the one of the overriding themes of this study. It wasn't just from what we saw, but it was because we saw that in a study that wasn't specifically looking for it. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there was a lot of unseen data there, too. Um, so that was sort of, I think, for us, the a, a really significant moment. And then once you start thinking with that lens, you start seeing it all over the place. So... You can see this in, um, we have a lot of uh, graphs related to geography. We have a couple maps. Um, And actually, originally, I thought the maps were going to be really clear winners. It's the United States. A map of the United States. It's a familiar entity. The maps are beautiful. They're these beautiful heat maps. Um, I expected people to kind of like jump in them. I thought they were going to be kind of our most highly ranked, and they're really they're pretty divisive. And in fact, most people thought they were pretty mediocre. And and the reason why when we when we when we when we looked at their interview transcripts is they thought they were like really cluttered and busy and confusing, and we think it's because. <laughs> They were actually trying to find their home state rapidly. They're interested in Pennsylvania. They're interested ah, in where they live. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and, and so we're giving this big overview. The United States is an overview and the piece you care about is, is, is one piece of data there. And so they actually yeah. saw the overview as really distracting to the piece they cared about. Uh, and this was also yeah. really interesting to me because, I mean, we, I mean, I, how many data visualizations have I designed where you start with the overview and then let people dig into the details afterwards, right? This is just <laughs> kind of like our common, you know, this is our common kind of framing for a lot of our design. And I think maybe what this suggests, something that we should dig into more, if you have a personal detail, if you have some sort of personal framing, um, that might be more important to lead off a chart with. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know this is something the New York Times has played around with a little bit in some of their charts. I'd be really fascinated to see, you know, has this, you know, if, if their engagement kind of numbers and the way they record engagement, um, Mm -hmm. if they see Mm -hmm. a difference. Yeah, this is,
1: yeah, this is, this is very often overlooked and in a way when visualization is used for communication i think people come with a prior that is basically where is the information that i'm looking for right mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's in your in your writing in your blog post that you you've wrote after uh, publishing the paper there's there's a quote that i really like from this i think you said 65 70 years old high school graduate and and he says these two maps are ranked low because i like them less the whole country. It's so huge. You. You, <laughs> you naturally <laughs> you naturally look at your state. It's too busy. I'm not thrilled with those. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, that, and I think cool. that's a great yeah. observation. That having an overview is not for everybody. the, the primary task. And it, yeah, we we seem to take it as a given all the time, right? Yeah. I I did something similar in a, in a project for the OCD. Sort of a regional version of the Better Life Index, and there we also identified that ah, oh, everybody will want to look up their own region. So what we did is detect yeah. where the user came from in the browser f- through the IP, and then present that region, and then give the option to go further up, but start at the lowest level. And so, and that was very successful, I think. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's sort of my hunch too. This this seems like a, a, a way that might uh, something that might be really effective. Um, I'm also curious about it at sort of the platform level, too. You know, if you are, um, I don't know, if you are on a search page and there are a bunch of thumbnails, are you more interested if that thumbnail is your state than the entire country?
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one piece I'm curious about is, you know, what are these steps that, what are the decisions that people are making before they are engaged with your visualization at all? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what are the the barriers or what are the the paths that we're creating um yeah. that and either f- encourage people the towards framing as you
2: said before yeah. and you, you mentioned this point with the geographic reference and and you have this great example with two line charts that show very similar information but one has america in the title so some people jumped at it in terms of oh that is more relevant to me uh, being in america right and so these are just very little like small framing tricks that establish that connection basically
0: yeah that one was really interesting because both those lying they both the data was about america one just had it really clearly in the title right, right. so we had this really fantastic <laughs> quote where someone said well i ranked higher because i live in america <laughs> Um, and they're both about America, but one just showcased it more.
2: Right, right. Yeah, it was like just one one way of saying, yeah, this is relevant to you because we have this thing in common, or this is this is why it could matter to you. Right. Very yeah. simple, but very effective, as it seems. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Super interesting. Any other findings? You said you have a lot, so yeah so <laughs> <We'll> keep asking <laughs> <laughs> yeah so
0: there I mean there are lots of kind of little little pieces in the paper but I think kind of the interesting twist there because up until that point you have to remember they were they were ranking these graphs entirely without knowing where they appeared uh, without knowing where the source was and so one thing I was really interested in so for, for the people that don't know Pennsylvania is um, one of the um, is a very um, politically contentious state. You're going to hear a lot about it, a whole lot, in the next couple years. Mm-hmm. It's one of these states where, depending on how it swings, it often has a pretty.
1: Is it a traditional swing state? Yes,
0: it is. Yes, and so I, and so we, we sort of intentionally picked some sources that were politically on both sides of the spectrum. Um, and also sure. some government sources. Uh, we picked some that were sort of almost um, by a rehab center. People that were less sort of official. Um, and so we actually revealed the sources to people at this point, um, and said, "Well, do you want to re rank any of these?" Um, and I, I so I, I sort of expected that people were really going to gravitate very hardly, very hard towards their political identity. Uh, we recorded their political identity at the end of the study, um, and so I sort of expected that a lot of people were going to change, that people who identified as liberal were going to really kind of gravitate to the graphs from more liberal news outlets, people who ident- identified as conservative were going to gravitate towards graphs um, with, um, from more conservative news outlets. And that sort of happened, but with much fewer people than we expected. Actually, most of the people decided they didn't need to change anything. That after the sources were revealed, they were fine. Um, and after we asked them about it, there were, there were a couple things. We think a couple things were happening. One, um, and we aren't the first to, kind of, to see this, is that people really believe that data is objective. And not just data, but they would use data and data visualization or charts and graphs synonymously. Right? So not only is data objective, but any data visualization is objective.
2: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Um, so, there's no kind of notion that we have to hear things like information is information, right? So, there's, <laughs> there's no understanding of the design yeah. process, right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Of
0: all the decisions people make along the path, uh, along the way. And I, I think that's especially disturbing. Um, Heidi Kong had a really great paper at, 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 at our conference recently where she found how much just the title of a data visualization can influence yeah. how people interpret that data visualization. Mm. Uh, and, and and But I think there's this illusion with data right now where people just think it's objective. And so people say, you know, it's the same data no matter where it shows up. So why would I ever change my rankings? <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> yeah, so. well... Wow.
0: Yeah. yeah. So as as a researcher, this was a roller coaster ride for me because when I first glanced at the data, I was like, "This is wonderful. People aren't gravitating towards their political <laughs> uh, their political identities. This is great." And then you re- you start reading into it more, and you say, "Oh no, this is not good at all."
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We, we found something very similar a few years back. We had a we had a study on on um, uh, we had a very similar study on persuasion. And um, and it was really interesting to find that for for some group of people, the the feedback was the same. It was like I I changed my mind or I didn't change my mind because data is data and uh, and data is the truth, right? right. And um, however, what we found back then is that paradoxically, people who actually have more information about the topic, right, they are those who are less swayed by data. And then there are also situations where if there is data that goes against their their intuition, right? Um, Mm -hmm. what you present to them can actually backfire, right? They believe something even less if you show them data that goes against what they believe. So, (laughs) it's, uh, it's really, (laughs) so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very well known effect in, uh, in persuasion research. I think it's called something like backfire, backfire effect Mm -hmm. or something like that. I don't remember exactly. But yeah, it's complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's a mess. Well, and what, what we ended up doing is we, we, we tried to figure out if there are any commonalities among people who changed their mind or changed their rankings at all. And our definition of change the ranking was change anything. Um, and we found that basically the more education you've had, the more likely you are to change your rankings at least with our group. Again, small sample size, we have no idea how widely generalizable this is. Um, sure, But at least in this case, um, and so I don't want to make kind of claims that this, is, this will happen everywhere, or this mm. is even repeatable, but I do think the interesting part to me is, we had a lot, we had I think, oh, I think I want to say a third of our participants had never been exposed to college um, of any kind. And if you remove those participants from our study, the stories that come out of our study look very different. The data looks very, very different. Um, And at least in my background and from many of the research studies that I've read in the past, I think we have a habit of almost many of the the participants we include in our studies are um, very often their educational floor is partway through college. Right, right. Um, so, so I, 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 it made me just reflect on, you know, what, how would other studies look differently if this significant portion of the rep, of the population was represented in them? Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that, that kind of jumped out to me. Um, the, 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 one other piece that we think is going on is we actually think there might be sort of like an anchoring effect this idea that I made a decision initially and now I don't mm. want to change my mind I
2: mean
0: this is yeah and admit you have
2: okay. you' influenced by you know the information revealed afterwards so you want to stick to it yeah original. I
0: sort of suspect I, you know I, I, I you know I'd love to go back and do this study starting out with the sources mm-hmm. and see how different those you know those same <laughs> right. people would have ranked things I, sure, I suspect yeah. it's pretty different I and mean, we even had a couple people who tell us flat out you know why didn't you change your mind they'd say well once I make a decision I don't change my mind Yeah. So, um, yeah,
2: but can, can I ask something so as a designer <laughs> so <laughs> the design <laughs> did not have any effect or at least people did not explicitly refer to the design when reflecting on their choices or, or like or the chart type because up to now you just mentioned basically the topic and the wording yeah. <laughs> you know like not the actual like What you would consider core of our practice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure. No, it did. No, I don't want to pretend like it did. Um, <laughs> um,
1: okay, that's yeah.
0: ha- partly good news. <laughs> I
1: guess yeah. so.
0: Y- y- you can see some if you look at kind of like the distributions of how people rank data. You can actually yeah. see there's a slight gravitation towards the simple line graphs and bar and, and, and bar charts, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually kind of nice. I mean, people yeah. s- kind of gravitate towards these. What we, uh, you know, these kind of like workhorse graphs that we very often rely on
2: mm-hmm.
0: um so that was pretty nice obviously distributions are very messy um something like the infographic was um we had this one infographic that received our mo- the most number of number one rankings which means they thought it means they thought it was the best it <laughs> also received the most number of um, 10 rankings which means they thought it was the worst. Um, So it's the most
2: polarizing lifestyle. Which
0: basically just reflects all of our conversations (laughs) about infographics as a community. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And even with, you know, I, I will say also, even with all this kind of data is personal. The, mm-hmm. the the graph that was ranked the lowest initially, uh, was the one that was, I think, visually the hardest to understand, but it was about county level information. See you would think mm-hmm. that actually that that people might see that had maybe the 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 finest grained picture. If they had really looked and found it, they had mm-hmm. they could have found information about their specific county in there. Mm-hmm. Um but that was ranked low because it was it was just really challenging for for people to decipher. Um, so it's not it's, so that it's it's not that the design was irrelevant. That's for sure. <laughs>
2: okay. The yeah, design yeah. definitely. Yeah, and I also understand it's sort of hard to untangle afterwards because it's obviously all of the graphics come as a package, <laughs> sort of you know, right. and yeah, and different factors might might affect different things. Yeah, and the other thing is like this explicit. If you ask people to post rationalize their decision some things might come up more Mm -hmm. than others Uh, do do you have any thoughts on that like which types of things are people more ready to argue explicitly as being the reason for their choice maybe than others
0: yeah Yeah, i think so we so we did um in our qualitative process we did coding of people's perceptions, so we basically went through and based on people's answers, we assigned these tags, and there were tags that um, that that bubbled up that were like clarity and color.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so things like clarity and color rose up to the top quite a bit.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: uh,
0: mm-hmm. One interesting thing about clarity is, I think when. We talk about clarity often when we design visualizations. We, we talk about it in the context of how well do people understand the data. And I think from our interviews, we got the sense that people were using clarity in the context of, how quickly can I just get the idea of what this data visualization is
2: about? Mm-hmm. Which, is a, yeah. which is a little bit but different, which more makes the topic and the, the main gist of the story, rather than reading the data precisely, right? Right. It's sort of like, how
0: quickly can I just get into this? Right. Yeah. So that. So I think things with that's you know great. clear titles. I would probably right. suggest um, things like that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Because we would ask people, you know, if they if they um, rank the two line graphs differently, or the two gra- or maps differently, we would ask them about those specifically. Um, and you know, every question you ask is like is, is like a nudge <laughs> in some direction or another. Um, and that's that's why I often say. That this study is just breadcrumbs to future studies, right. um, because there's so many things going on here. Um, if we went to the same farmers market um, this summer and interviewed 42 different people, would we see exactly the same thing? I would think the dominant themes would arise, but you know, the, these people are uh, people are very different from very different backgrounds and very different educational backgrounds and socioeconomic backgrounds and experience with charts and graphs. Um, so I think I think I think there is a lot to untangle.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that that's very interesting. And I think zooming out from from the details of the study, I think one one thing that that struck me as really important in your in your paper is the fact that you you've been reflecting about whether we are excluding some people when we design visualization, right? I think mm-hmm. each of us, when we do our work, we have some prototypical reader in mind or user in mind, right? But it may be either far from actual readers and, and people, or that, that typical reader excludes some people that maybe shouldn't exclude, right? Right. And uh, I think that's a, that's a very interesting angle.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning, that as we've started pitching data visualization as A way of communicating data to all people and as the decisions we make in 2019 are more often reliant on data whether it is you know I talked to a sociologist around here before I did the study and because I wanted to get a sense of you know is this even an interesting idea of analyzing (laughs) how people look at data Um, and she said absolutely and it impacts the medical decisions they make it impacts um, whether some people are going to for-profit colleges because, uh, you know, you're basically comparing data of different education um, after high school. Um, and so you're making lots of tiny data decisions all the time. And it, mm-hmm. it, it, if our big pitch as a field is that we have this, I'm going to say kind of this this technology that helps people understand data, well, the, if if it's meant, To help everyday people understand data, we better make sure it works for everyday people. Because if it only works for some people, if it only works for people who've been to college, that means we've built something that amplifies all the people who've been to college even more than they've been amplified their education already. Um, So this is the scary part. I mean, this is a story we're seeing all across computer science and with these tech companies right now, too, where people just... Not reflecting enough on the platforms they're creating and who those platforms are empowering and who they're not,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and, and that—that's my biggest concern right now. I would say with with data vis- visualization as a field is, I—it's I, very possible that the answer is you know we're we're okay. Actually, our designs do work for everyone or work reasonably well for everyone. <laughs> But the fact that we can't answer that question definitively in any f- shape or form is is a little bit terrifying to me, given how yeah. how reliant we are on data right now.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I'm thinking really like the intrinsic interest in in the data or in parts of the data needs always to be considered when you test right. any visualization, right? So you, I think too often people just take a cars data set or you know, Titanic survivorship <laughs> or something to test a technique, but the results might be totally different in case somebody actually cares about the contents of the data set. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's important because actually there's been a lot of awesome work about, I think, how people reason with data kind of within, making you know, given those assumptions we talked about in the past, that you're paying attention to the the data and that you're looking at a chart. Um, There's been a lot of work in how people with different kind of um, personality traits um, reason with data, how people with different... um, Cognitive traits, reason with data. so it's not like it's not like we're ignoring this topic, but I think now the different question is what happens when you zoom out? Mm-hmm. How do people arrive at data? You know mm-hmm. what platforms does it arrive on? If you take the same data visualization and put it on the New York Times versus a government website versus a blog, how does that change the way people pay attention to it and, and interpret it? I um, mean, those are the questions I think are really interesting to me right now, because to me, they just seem, they seem like prerequisites to you even having a chance to understand the data. Are you willing to spend your attention on it? Um, and that that still seems like an unknown.
1: Yeah, I think you you, yeah you opened up uh, pandora's box here <laughs> and there are so many possible follow up uh, questions and and studies and uh it's super interesting i i really really love these um this research Con- congratulations um i think maybe we should conclude by uh, i'm wondering if you can briefly mention what are the implications for actual visualization practitioners right mm-hmm. so is there anything Actual practitioners can extract from your work that may actually guide them a little bit better in the way they design and develop data visualizations.
0: Yeah, I think that, and and, and again, we need to look into these a little bit more carefully to understand how um, the, you know their effects, uh, how how much they generalize. But my hunch is that if you, for example, have. If you, if you know something about the people you're delivering information to, uh, what we talked before, that overview, then details on demand, it might be worth flipping that a bit to front um, the personal details. Um, I would say any piece of information, I mean, sort of like the titles we talked about earlier that referenced one title that referenced America and one that didn't, that seems sort of implicit. I, I think if I were designing a data visualization, I might say, well, I don't need to say America. That's that's sort of implicit here. Well, <laughs> it, it, it might actually matter a lot right yeah uh, it might not be so obvious um, and um, so I think those are the, the I think the clearest implications from our study the, the one other piece I'd say and this is a little bit I'd say this isn't something we research directly in this study um, um, but this is something I've been talking to people about who are interested in, in who, who teach data visualization is just using a, a, a process that actually engages the the people you are working to design the data visualization for, um, I think that we we run a lot of data visualization training courses that sort of rely so heavily on design principles and not on design process, um, and um, and actually I think this is much probably much worse in academia than um, in practice. Uh, I actually think that it's very lucky that the design process is 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 much more common. Um, in industry than it is in academia. Um, But I think that engaging your stakeholders and designing alongside, I mean, things that the design community has been doing for many years, um, even aside from understanding kind of the research implications or how generalizable it is or the effect size, we got so much information. There is nothing tricky about, there's nothing complicated about the setup of the study. We brought data visualizations to people and talked to them. I mean, that's how I could describe (laughs) our, our study if I really wanted to simplify it
1: we talk to people uh-huh. <laughs> to actual people that was great tip yeah. talk to actual people <laughs>
0: so uh, that, that, how about that talk to people <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think it's a perfect way to, to conclude the, the this episode um, talk to actual people guys <laughs> okay thanks so much Evan I think that's that's been uh, really, really interesting. And I urge everyone listening to take a look at your uh, work, your paper. You also have a blog post published, more than one blog post, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to put everything in our show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks so much.
0: Great.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
1: Hey, folks, thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded, so you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash datastories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show.
2: And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash datastoriespodcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel. Uh, where you can chat with us directly and to sign up you can go to our homepage datastory.es
1: and there is a button at the bottom of the page and we also have an email newsletter so if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode you can go to our home page datastory.es and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer so one
2: last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for, to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.